You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a study of Hebrews chapter 11 in a series called Faith Lessons. Hey there, Redemption Church. Hope you guys are having a, a great evening. Hope you had a great week. If I haven't met you before, my name is Esteban. I'm a pastor, church planter, missionary in the city of Madrid, Spain. Uh, my family and I, we've been here for um, a little over six years, have been planting the church for almost four years. Um, pastor Daniel is a good friend, a great brother in my life, and a, a source of encouragement and friendship, which is really needed in not just the Christian life, but uh, for a missionary uh, abroad it's uh, super important you guys have redemption at redemption have been uh, supportive of us in so many ways and so we're so thankful for the blessing that you guys are to us it really means a lot uh, again pastor daniel has given me uh the privilege to share the word of god with you guys in this series of faith i wish i could be there with you guys unfortunately the traveling situation is a bit difficult at the moment but hopefully in the future we'll be able to visit you all and hang out uh face-to-face. Really quick, before we get moving into the study, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the moms out there. Moms, we applaud you truly for all you've done and continue to do in our lives. Dads are great, but there's no love like a mama's love, and that's just the situation, right? It's the truth. It's the reality of this world. Your sacrifice, your pain to bring us into the world the care and the nurture that you women invest into your children, there are truly no words to completely communicate your contribution and your impact, not just into society, but the world. So truly, from my heart to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. Well, today, we're going to read some in, in the chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, I'm sure in the recent weeks, you've spoken about different people, people like Moses, this man who by faith, he left the royal family of Egypt. He chose to identify with his people, the Israelites, rather than to be a, a prince of Egypt. At one point, he left Egypt altogether, a radical display of Moses' faith in the Lord, not taking refuge in what he could see. And really, in the riches of Egypt, all the good things that we want to take refuge in, that we want to find safety and security in, he, he left those things by faith. It was also by faith that Israel observed the Passover. It was by faith that Israel marched out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. These are remarkable moments of faith, and they're remarkable moments in the, the history of Israel. In Hebrews eleven twenty seven, it says, by faith... Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. What an amazing statement. He was able to move forward in life, forgetting those things that are of the world because of the God who he knew, he knew was real but couldn't see with his eyes. Faith comes from hearing the word of God, right? That's so important for the life of the believer. This is not just faith when we believe, but it's all-encompassing faith that comes through relationship. Relationship through Jesus Christ, knowing your Savior personally and through his word. And it's not just faith in difficult times, right? It's not just faith when we believe at first. It's not faith in difficult times only. But what we're talking about here, this is the context of faith in the biblical sense, is 
faith that impacts our daily lives. Paul said, you know, after being a believer for years, he said, the, the, the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. It was Jesus who gave his life for Paul, and Paul said, I live every day by faith in him, who I am in him, who he is to me, and the impact that he's had in this world and in my life. It's a person who puts their, uh, who, who lives their life with their eyes continually on Jesus and his word. And that's transforming faith. That's what we want in our lives is a continued transforming faith. Today, we're going to look at amazing accounts of faith, faith that defies logic, faith that makes people willing to do the unthinkable and even put themselves in risky and dangerous situations because they were being led and shepherded by God. That's important. They were being led and shepherded by God. And that's the, the path that God had for them. We're going to jump into uh, Hebrews 11 and also in Joshua 6 and also Joshua chapter 2. So we're going to bounce around a little bit on you guys to have your Bibles open if you have them and keep those two uh, portions of Scripture uh, open if you can. And so I want to talk not only about belief or faith. That's the positive aspect of, of the life of the believer, right? But there's also a reality that is a part of a believer, and it's unbelief. We're going to talk about that and about the areas of unbelief that we might have in our lives. God has given us all these promises, and our identity is in Jesus Christ, right? That's part of discipleship is knowing those things, understanding and learning that. It's a process. But there's also unbelief. We've, we've navigated through this, through this life for so long in a certain way, relying on what we can see what we can control, the security we might feel in this world. And really, there are areas of, of our lives where we've not surrendered them to God. We've not given them over. We, we act as an adopted son in one area of life, but in the other, we act like an orphan. Like, I have to take care of it myself. Like, I have to somehow figure it out, sort it out, and make it happen all on my own. So I want to talk about that today. My hope is that you guys will catch this lesson of faith that is so powerful, is so life-changing. So um, let's jump in to these characters that we're going to see. Uh, Israel marching around the, the, the city of Jericho. Um, they marched by faith, right, around this city uh, because God told them to. Rahab also making a deal with Israel uh, by faith, protecting the spies that they sent in there. So let's uh, go ahead and, and uh, pray real quick, and then we'll start with our, our study today. Lord, we thank you for this day, Jesus, and I just pray that you would be glorified, that you would pour down upon us your Holy Spirit, that you would magnify Jesus in our midst. Lord, my friends at Redemption don't need to hear a man speak. They need to hear from you today, God. And so I just pray that you'd be glorified, Jesus, that you would work internally in the hearts of the people beyond my reach, beyond anybody's reach, Lord. They're yours. And so we just, we pray that you would be glorified today and that your work would be continued in our lives as believers, as Christians, as sons and daughters, as uh, disciples for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty. Well, Israel came to the city of Jericho, right? They, by faith, marched around this city um, because God had told them to. In, in the case of, of, of the people, they cross the Jordan River and they come to the city. They're outside 
and there's these walls around this city. They were commanded by God to march around the city for seven days. They were subject to all sorts of things, ridicule perhaps, by the people standing up top, maybe hurling insults. Maybe they were hurling rocks. Maybe they were, their lives were in danger. I don't know if they were that close, but at any rate, it must have been an interesting few days for, for these, uh, these people of God. They were probably subject to their own potential doubt. Maybe, God, what are we doing here? Is this really a plan? Rahab, on the other hand, was, a, when it, was in a difficult and unique position, very unique. She had heard the stories of the God of Israel. Uh, she knew that he, God had brought them out of Egypt and brought them to Jericho. And all this started to make a change in her. There was a, this, this truth, this information that was impacting her. She was receiving it, and then she was left with a choice. What would she do if she had the opportunity? Who would she side with? She could side with her wicked, unbelieving people and be destroyed, or she could place her faith in God, siding with his people, his plan, and be saved. So let's read really quick in um, Hebrews 11, 29, and 30. It says, By faith the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as, through, as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven, seven days, and the walls came crashing down. So it's interesting to kind of get a glimpse as to where they were at, Israel as a people. A lot had happened between the time they left uh, Egypt and crossed the Red Sea to this point. There had been at least a minimum of 40 years that had passed. This was... Israel's first military objective in the conquest of Canaan. It was um, certainly fortified. Its walls ran the circumference of the city. In Joshua chapter 1, we see that the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, Look, Moses is dead. You're my guy. You're the leader. You're going to take the people into the land, and you're going to conquer and, and basically um, receive the promise that I've given to my people. So you're the guy that I'm going to do this with, Joshua. Photo, I have a couple of photos. Photo number one here, uh, this picture of the site where ancient Jericho once stood um, in, the, in, this, in this region. This is what the ruins kind of look like today. This is photo number two. This is a rendering of how the city was probably situated in this area. And then photo number three, we have a, a different angle. Just something to have a, a visual to understand kind of... Uh, what the Israelites were probably seeing with their eyes, something very similar. Let's go to Joshua 6, and let's read verses, well, verse 1, we'll start. It says this, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. Now, isn't that interesting? They were shut tight. No one was going out. No one was coming in. The doors were sealed. Ancient warfare was a little bit different back then, right? They didn't have any airplanes or other big machines, any guns. There were no giant elephants ridden like chariots, like in Lord of the Rings. No. No doubt the Israelites arrived at the city of Jericho with questions on their mind. God, this is a big giant city. What are we going to do? Look at what uh, the Lord tells Joshua in Joshua 6, 2. It says, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you... Jericho, its king and all its warriors. What a statement. In case you're wondering, guys, if today you're thinking, 
any kind of doubts in your minds, let me make it clear. If the Lord gives you something, it's yours. It's yours, right? What happens, though? It's not out of the realm of possibility that when the Lord gives somebody something, gives somebody a promise, it may not come the way the person thinks. There may be some waiting, right? Often with the Lord, the road to receiving the promise can be different than you thought. We've got expectations, and we want the Lord to meet those, those expectations, but the Lord isn't subject to our whims and wills and wishes, right? The road might actually lead you down a path you never dreamed you'd be on. A path that defies logic and the laws of nature. Continuing in Joshua 6, 3, he says, You and your fighting men should march around the town tw uh, once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. This isn't a battle plan, necessarily, right? Lord, we're just putting on a parade for our enemies. Really? I can imagine the thoughts going through their minds and maybe even some of these things being voiced, being put out in the air. Lord, we're just their entertainment. This is interesting. This doesn't make too much sense. It's important to note something here, though. The first generation of adults that came out of Egypt, where were they at this point in the story? They all died. They all died in the wilderness. That was Israel 1.0. What we're reading about today is Israel 2.0. They have faith, unlike their unbelieving parents. And you need faith to do what God commands you. You need faith and relationship. March around the city seven days? They could be easy targets for their enemies. It seemed like a vulnerable position for them. But this is what it was. This was God's plan. Not the strategic plan of a general. Maybe that's what they wanted. A seasoned general who would give them all their ex his experience and say, okay, general so-and-so, what's the next steps? Ah, okay, I, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling that plan. We can do this. It wasn't like that. It wasn't even a plan that made sense. But that's what they were to do. March once for six days around the city, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Joshua 6, 5. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. Wow, here you have it. The marching, the priests, the horns, the battle cry, and then boom. God's going to bring the walls down. It says, by faith, in Hebrews 11.30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. What an interesting plan. And interesting are God's ways. And they're not our ways, are they? Archaeologists confirm what we read here in chapter 6 of Joshua. The city wasn't sieged. Oftentimes, what's common in those days is if there was a city on a, on a high position that was unreachable, uh, unreachable or a city that had walls like Jericho, they would build a ramp up to the point of the wall where they could cross over or reach the city. 
But that wasn't the case. Archaeologists confirmed the city was not sieged, meaning an enemy didn't build a ramp to the top of the wall. Rather, archaeologists' excavations suggest that the walls of the city were thrown down with sudden force. Interesting. Within the city, they found several things that confirmed this. Underground storages filled with food, confirming that the city wasn't captured by siege. The food was all there because they didn't have to keep the door shut and just wait their enemies out. No. This all happened in a relatively short amount of time. The second thing is they, they see the evidence of charred wood showing the city was in fact burned, as the word of God says, Joshua 6, 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. <laughs> God gave them the victory. God brought them all the way there. He lets the previous generation die in the wilderness because they didn't have faith. They didn't want to believe God. And now they're here and through God's unique and just out of the ordinary, against the laws of nature plan, God gives them the victory. It wasn't by strategic military planning. planning. It didn't come by the might of Israel's army. It was the Lord who prescribed a most unique strategy, all his own. And sometimes that's the path we walk, believer. It doesn't have to make sense according to our five-year plan or according to you know, any other person's ideal plan for life or what we learn in the West as necessities for life. This is Israel 2.0. Israel 2.0 had the choice to believe and move forward, trust in the Lord. Okay, we receive the information. Yeah, 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 we're, we're going to go forward, Lord. We're going to trust you on this. We're good. We're, we're, we're with you. Or they could fall back into unbelief like generation one. But what happened is they caught the lesson. They learned that the Lord was trustworthy. They learned from their parents' mistakes, and they walked by faith in the Lord. They weren't without their failures. They were not perfect people. There are none. I'm not perfect. There's nobody in the church that's perfect. But they, their trust in the Lord got them to their destination. They moved forward. Their inward faith, their inward faith, guys, produced outward actions. And those were actions of obedience, actions of taking steps forward. And what happened? They ultimately saw the victory. And in the end, this generation entered the promised land. Well, let's continue in Hebrews 11. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people in her own city who refused to obey God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab, this really interesting character for us. What do we think about this lady? Interesting how God just puts people into his plan, into the Bible, right? She's a colorful character for us to deal with. Many of us today, it might be difficult. It might be difficult to see somebody in the church and kind of see what their life is like and say, well, what are they doing there? Should they be there? Should the leaders have let them in there? They're, they haven't cleaned up their life. Maybe there's some exceptions and some differences in the church, but God still uses people in their imperfections. You know, we might have difficulty with Rahab to consider that such a woman is in a long list of characters in the Old Testament who walked by faith here in Hebrews 11. Because we tend to be sin criticizers, right? I just want to talk about this for a minute, you know, because I see it in my own heart. I'm a critic. 
But when it comes to us, we give ourselves what? All the grace, all the understanding in the world, and then some. We make excuses for ourselves, and we justify just about everything that we do that we know is wrong. Oh, I messed up, but God, you know, I didn't mean to do it. But when it comes to somebody else, we judge on a completely different scale, right? We put different standards on that person. The level of grace that I give myself versus the level of grace that I give uh, to that other person is in much shorter supply for them than it is for me or for somebody that, I, that, I, that I, I really like or love. We judge and we criticize and in our minds even crucify others for their sins. We become the, the judge, jury, and the executioner and we just think in our hearts and our minds, well, God, they shouldn't be getting away with that. Christians can be very similar to Pharisees in Jesus' day. All nice and pretty and clean on the outside, but filled with the heart of stone on the inside, judging others and having a works-based, performance-driven relationship in this world and with God. And if they don't meet our standards, if they don't work like us or perform like us, oh, well, shame on them. This all happens on the interior, on the heart. Typically, we, we were people who think and act like this, they rely on their own good works to make themselves feel good before God. We criticize sin in others to make us feel good and be complete and completely suffocating the work of abundant life that the Lord wants to do in us. But real, the reality is, guys, is that God uses us with our flaws. He used Rahab in a powerful way in all her flaws and with all her sin plainly in sight. Let's go to Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to secretly spy, saying, to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of the harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the, the country. The king of Jericho sent Rahab sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who came to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, they came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gates were being shut when it was dark, that they went out, the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Another company of spies gets sent out from Israel to go into this region. The king knows that they're, that they're there. And when he knows, he knows where they went even, into the house of Rahab. So he sends for, for them questioning Rahab. And what does she do? She flat out lies about it. She protected them. Joshua 2, 6. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, but the terror of you has fallen on us. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted within us. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven 
above and on the earth beneath. What an interesting situation. They heard it. Fear had fallen in the city. Rahab says that their hearts melted within them. They heard what happened all the way back in Egypt. Word spread. These people were Canaanites. These people were wicked people. They worshiped their gods in wicked ways. Yet this sinner, this woman, this prostitute, something is happening in her heart. She gets the information, wind of what God, the living God is doing. She's humbled, perhaps. Her heart melting within her. Everyone else's heart's melting within them. The prostitute hears this testimony of what God is doing. Her faith begins to grow. Something is happening inside of her. The king of Jericho could have killed her. She could have faced the punishment of a betrayer of her people. And yet the faith in her, the information she received about the living God, caused her to act in a way to act boldly in faith. Joshua 2.12 Now therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If any one of you tell this business of ours, if none of you, Forgive me, tell this business of ours. And it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Look, here's the heart of the matter, I believe. There was no refuge for Rahab and her family in Jericho. She knew it. There was no safety behind the fortified walls or in the army of Jericho. There were no allies, no friends that were going to help and come to their rescue. And look, that's the, the picture for us today is applicable. You know, we may not live behind a walled city or, you know, in this ancient time, but we have an option to look for refuge in people, in things, in money, in a job, in a career. And honestly, the heart, the human heart is like a magnet for security. We want security. And we look for that in a person. We look for that in money. Money is one of the most common things and the most difficult things that we deal with as a believer because it's transferable. We can take money and get goods and services anywhere at any time. And so we struggle with giving up money. We, we, we put our, our, our hearts and our faith and we find safety in it. It splits families and destroys relationships. Why? Because everybody wants that Safety, what that money can bring. She sought refuge in what she couldn't see at the moment. She saw that the living God was coming, and she, I believe, made a, the, the decision in her heart before they even showed up. She didn't seek refuge in what she could see, what she could touch, in the people she knew, the way of her world. She said, I am going to seek refuge in the God of Israel. It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute, Hebrews 11.31, was not destroyed with her people in the city who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. What did God do after the Israelites marched around the city and blew the trumpet? He caused the walls to come crashing down. And they entered the city, they burned the city. Only Rahab and her family were spared because of their faith, because of her faith. 
Archaeologists confirm that only one portion of the wall of Jericho was left standing. It was the northern portion. And this is just the, the, one of the coolest parts of these verses, I believe, or, or what these verses show us. Where did Rahab live? She lived on the wall of the city. Joshua 6.15, then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. That's verse uh, 15 in Joshua 6. Before the Israelites burned the city, Joshua commanded the two spies to go into the house of Rahab in order to keep their promise and to spare Rahab and her family. Look, she was a prostitute. She lied to the king. And I realize for us Christians and many people out there, this could be scandalizing, especially for those who have this works-based, you know, performance-driven life before God and with others. But the reality is, is this is a, a, an amazing expression of, of the graciousness of God, a display of the grace of God. She didn't have to clean herself up. She didn't deserve anything, but it was by faith that she trusted in who the living God was. She simply believed and trusted in the God of Israel. Do you know who this woman, uh, who the daughter-in-law of Rahab is, right? Anybody know? Anybody? It's Ruth. Rahab was the mother of Boaz. As in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, she married a man named Salmon. In fact, Rahab and Ruth, these outsiders, these Jews, or these Gentiles, they're both related to King David. And did you know that they're both included in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1? Go read it. Their names are there. It was by faith. It was Rahab's faith that caused her to forsake the old life. It was faith, her faith, that caused her to trust in the God of Israel and hide the spies. And it really shows us that anybody can come to this saving faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I love this, God being so precise, orchestrates all things according to his perfect will, even preserving one little portion of the wall of Jericho because this woman, this woman who these spies made a promise to was living there. Her faith saved her. By faith, she was saved. As believers, I believe we can see spiritual picture within Egypt that we can apply to our lives. And really, throughout Israel's journey, uh, there's just a lot of spiritual application for us. Our relationship with God begins when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, right? God, I see the problem. I'm a sinner. I bear the weight of my sin on my shoulders. I bear the consequences. I need your help. I know if I die this way, I'm going to spend eternity in hell, and I want to trust what you did. You lived, you died, you resurrected, all to pay for my sins and make me clean and give me the open door to new life. I put my faith in that. That's where relationship with the Lord starts, right? <clears throat> Trusting in him for our salvation. It's also like Israel observing the Passover before they left Egypt. Faith that saves. They put the, that blood on the doorpost when, when the, the destroyer came over the land to kill the firstborn. If that blood was there, they were okay. 
That's faith that saves. We begin to march forward in our Christian walk like Israel marched out of Egypt. Oftentimes when we, when we step into this relationship with the Lord, he does a, deliver, a, a work of deliverance in our lives, delivers us and, you know, from circumstances and from addictions, and he gives us a, a new path, right? Like the Israelites crossing the Red Sea. It was miraculous. He delivered them. But what happens? When we continue to walk with God, there are different seasons in our walk with God. Wilderness seasons, like Israel found themselves in the wilderness. Seasons where we aren't surrounded by all of the things that made us comfortable at once. The things that, the way that we saw the world, the way that we functioned, maybe trying to control situations, manipulating things, having the, the food or the resources right in front of us. Israel no longer had the meat and the, the, the onions and the garlic. They didn't have the Nile River right there. They were in the wilderness. They were in the desert. They had the living God with them, but something needed to be rearranged in their hearts. What happens is we find ourselves in situations where things are different. We, what, the things that we long for, the things that the world offered us that comforts us, we no longer have that security. That's Israel 1.0. Once they left Egypt, the reality is, folks, they had zero faith. They accused Moses and God of wanting to kill them and their families in the desert. They wanted to return to Egypt. Imagine that. God does this amazing, miraculous, miracle upon miracle. He's keeping his promise. After hundreds of years, they're slaves. He's going to rescue them. And they say just after the fact, oh, God, thanks for nothing. You brought us out here because there were no graves in Egypt. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, that's their attitude towards God. It became evident in that generation that they would not trust God for their lives. They would not trust God for what was ahead. They would not trust God to conquer and to bring them into Canaan. That's applicable for our lives. This is where I believe the unbelief is evident in our lives, guys. Maybe today you find yourself in a place where you have no options. You're in a tough situation or you're in an impossible situation and you're longing for something or you're longing for something you don't have. You don't see how God can provide it for you. You're struggling with temptation, perhaps. Temptation to criticize God. God, thank you. I, I, this is awesome. I mean, you just you want to kill me, don't you? You really do. You hate me. Maybe there's a temptation for you to go back to the old life, to go back to Egypt. Temptation to, to take matters into your own hands. Look, believer, God deliberately at times puts us in places where he is our only hope. Because there's something that needs to change. He puts us in places where he is our only help. He is our only refuge. And oftentimes we have to wait for him to help us or to provide for us or to rescue us. And we don't like to wait, do we? It's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel like we're in control. How many of you people are control freaks? How many of you people like to be in control? And when you're not in control, you feel like you're, you're, you can't breathe. Be honest. What will you do while you're waiting? What do you do while you're waiting? Will you trust the Lord? Or 
Will that unbelief in your heart produce a harvest? There's unbelief in our hearts. There's unbelief in my heart. I'm telling you this straight out. Do you know what harvest unbelief produces? It produces a harvest of continually trusting yourself. Sometimes you don't even know what's happening. You're on autopilot. You've been on autopilot for 10, 20, 30 years. This is how you operate. You don't even know what's happening. But you won't believe God for the promises that he's given you that he'll provide for you or that he'll take care of you or that he's a good shepherd because you've been living this way all your life. And so you have the gospel. You believe him to take care of you for your sin in the end. But he wants to take care of you and all the stuff that's going on today. But we continue to operate in unbelief, manipulating, lying, defending ourselves, trying to gather resources to make ourselves feel safe. Unbelief produces a harvest where we're just trusting in ourselves, our own wisdom, our own strength. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death, the way of death. The product and harvest of unbelief is death. The unbelieving generation of Israel, they died in the wilderness. They got to live their lives. They moved forward in life, but it wasn't an abundant life. They kind of just went around in circles. You may, not be, you may not die in the wilderness like they did because of your unbelief, but something will die. There will be a cost to your unbelief, to you not willing to relinquish your life to the Lord and say, God, here, here's my relationships. Here's my money. I don't want to find my security, my safety in what I can see anymore. There will be a cost. I'm not talking about losing your salvation, believer, Christian. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about experiencing the abundant life that comes from trusting God daily or not. That's what I'm talking about. Not just for your salvation, but with everything you need, everything you want, and everything that you have. So, you know, as we kind of wrap up, are you going to be like Israel 1.0? who died in the wilderness, or will you learn from their mistakes? Will you catch the lesson of faith? Look at these people. They couldn't see the promise. They couldn't see what they wanted or what they were waiting for at times, but they trusted the living God. Will your inward relationship with God and your faith in him produce fruitfulness in your life? Will you trust God in how to handle your money, how to handle sex, how to handle relationships, comfort, security? Or are these things all yours? Do you control these things and make exceptions and concessions in your Christian walk? Because you don't believe God is good enough to satisfy those things. Stop living like an orphan, believer. You've been adopted. There's a legal transaction that has been basically ratified on your behalf. You've been given all the benefits of having a savior and the, the spiritual benefits that come with it. Will you surrender your life to him? Live as an adopted son and say, God, I'm going to trust you. Or will you, have, will you do things in your own wisdom and strength? Will you sow into your life what unbelief brings and reap the, the, the harvest of that? Or will you sow abundant life? Or will your unbelief lead you toward actions that sow death? Rahab is such a great example for us. Because although she was a sinner, her belief in the Lord 
produced a radical transformation. She no longer held on to her way of life, being with men, selling her body. She didn't seek refuge in a city whose walls were great. That would have been a, a place to seek refuge. Oh, we're safe. We're good. Maybe some of you guys are struggling, just doing everything you can to build your own kingdom, thinking that's your safety. Learn from Rahab. She didn't, she forsook those things. She said, look, I'm going to trust in the living God. She didn't take refuge in the city whose walls were great. She forsook her old way of life to get with God's program. Her faith produced something amazing, and it produced obedience to the living God. It's time, family. It's time, believer. It's time to march forward with God and his program. First, stop just doing things the way you think they should be done. Read the word of God. Be a disciple. Enter into that love relationship with Jesus every day where you're trusting him. He is a good shepherd. It's time, even if it doesn't make sense to you. Even if it's not the path that brings you the optimal amount of comfort and security. Our hearts like comfort. Our hearts are a magnet for security. It's time to march forward by faith like Israel marched around Jericho. Don't worry about what you desire or even what you need. Will you trust the Lord to take care of you? The Lord is able to take care of you with precision. He spared this little part of the wall where Rahab lived because of the promise that was made to her. It's time to leave those old ways behind. Don't seek to be loyal to your people according to the flesh, your friends, your co-workers, your business partners. If that's the drive of your life, it's not going to lead you to where you really want to be. Don't seek to be loyal to this world. Get on God's program. Rahab's story is such a beautiful story of redemption. Having been included in the lineage of both King David and Jesus, it shows us that God can transform your situation. He can redeem the lost time. He can rescue you. He can lead you to victory daily. And that's where joy is, walking with Jesus, seeing these issues of the heart, and then letting him sort it out through the truth of the word and the gospel. And it doesn't rely on what you're able to do. It relies on whether you can walk with him by faith. You know, we have this thing, functional and formal theology, right? Formal theology is the, the, okay, I understand the gospel. I understand I'm saved by faith. I understand that I'm adopted, that I'm forgiven, that Jesus has deposited his perfect account of righteousness in my account. Do you understand that? Living like an adopted son would be trusting those things every day for all the areas of your life. But what happens is we have that formal theology. We have it on the shelf in our minds. We, we know it, but the functional theology we have, what we use to navigate all these different areas of our lives, money, sex, relationships, security, safety, my reputation, my righteousness, we have a different theology. We have a functional theology that's separated from the true biblical formal theology, and that needs to change. The truth of the, of the word of God needs to penetrate and permeate all the areas of our lives. Don't be 
as an orphan walking in this world, when you've been adopted by the living God and you've been made a son or a daughter, stop walking like an orphan. Today is the day of repentance. Stop trusting in yourself, guys. Stop trusting in the world. Come to the living God. Fall into his arms today. Fall into the arms of your loving father like a kid just running to his father. You cannot see him, but somehow when our hearts believe and trust in him, your heart's not running to that thing, that bank account, that money, that job, that security you've built. It's not running to that person. It's finding rest in the gospel, in Jesus. Lord, you are what sustains me. You are what holds me together. You are everything to me. You cannot see him, but when your heart trusts in him, there's something that happens within you. It defies logic, and it's beautiful, and you will reap an amazing harvest when you walk with Jesus by faith, like Rahab did, like Israel did. Amen? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for my friends and family at Redemption Church. Lord, I pray that you'd bless them, that you'd fill them, that you'd help them to walk by faith, that they would no longer walk as though they're orphans, but really just walk in the benefits of being a son, of, of being a daughter. Lord, thank you for them, God. And I pray that you continue the good work that you've begun in them. And that I'm confident, Lord, that there will be just more abundant fruitfulness there. Bless Daniel and his family and the church there, God, and continue your work there in the city of Delray for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Redemption family, we love you guys, and we're so thankful to, to be a part uh, together of what God is doing in this world. Thank you guys for partnering with us. I hope to see your faces soon. Until then, um, yeah, God bless you guys. Keep your eyes on Jesus and continue to walk by faith.